Good morning. It's great to have you all here with us this morning. Uh, because as we prayed at the beginning of, of service at 9.30 this morning in our prayer time, how many of you guys know we have an enemy whose job is to cheat, kill, steal, steal and destroy? So anytime we take a step out in faith with God, we have an enemy who's going to fight us. Um, keep the people who, who, who need Jesus in your prayers. Ask God to lead you to the people who need him. Because he will. But as, as we started to approach Easter, and I sat in my prayer time this week, and I sat asking God, you know, I, wanted, I, wanted, I want to talk about this. I want to move forward with, so we can see how Israel's journey to the promised land mirrors our salvation walk. And how it mirrors the problems we go through. And, and in my prayer time this morning, as you can see, it changed. We're going to talk this morning about reclaiming our compassion for people. We want the promises of God, but we want God's promises when we want them. We want them how we want them. We want them the way we want them. And when God doesn't give us what we want when we want it, what do we do? We get upset and argue with God. Here's a tip. You're always going to lose in that argument. I have sat many nights arguing with God. I figure it's okay because David did. So I figure I'm not out of bounds arguing with God because if David did, some of the prophets did. I'm like, okay, I'm not as good as any of those guys, so I can argue with God. But the, and the thing I had to learn was I can argue with God, but then i got to listen to his response even if I don't like it. How many of you guys ever get something from God you just don't like? Yeah, we all do. We all do, because God says, I got something better that you don't get. You don't get it yet, what I got for you. If that's proper English, I have no idea. It just sounded good when it was in my head. But we need to understand, we're going to continue on this journey after Easter into the promised land with Joshua. But this morning, we can still look at obstacles versus opportunities in reclaiming our compassion. Because Jesus never saw people as an irritant, as a problem to be fixed, or as an obstacle that needed to be avoided, as we're going to find out from Scripture today, every time Jesus ran into issues, he had compassion for them. Now, how many of you guys have read your Bible and understand Jesus was probably the most politically incorrect person of the day? The dude didn't candy coat Scripture. He didn't try to make people happy in his preaching. But yet, he was the, one of the most sought-after people at that time. I think that's a lesson for the church. When we proclaim truth and the grace of Jesus, even though we think it may sound offensive, it will attract the people God is calling. Because Jesus said, guess what? You're not going to do it that way. I have a better way to do it. He was forceful with his teachings. One of my favorite sayings after he healed somebody was what? Go and sin no more. He didn't say take what I just gave you and take it back and add it to your life and keep doing what you're doing. He said let me transform your heart which will transform your circumstances which will transform your life. That's what Jesus is about. So today, we're going to start a new series of messages on rediscovering our journey to the cross. 
what it means for us and how it can radically change our lives when we journey following Jesus to the cross. Now the cross, again, has become a great symbol. I I preached a message on it a few years ago. I'm willing to bet the New Testament church weren't running around with crosses on chains or on earrings or had them on their walls because the cross is a symbol of shame. It was a symbol of a guilty person getting killed. It was everything that culture didn't want. But as a church, we've made it something that's cute. I'll wear it on a shirt and say faith. And we forgot the depth of the cross. What it truly means to sit at the foot of the cross with a Savior who chose to die for me. We've lost the passion for people because we've lost our passion for the cross. Because if Jesus would die for someone like me, how arrogant am I to think he wouldn't die for my neighbor? I read a quote this week from an atheist. I love those quotes. This pastor was coming to pray for him because he was in a hospital. And he looked at him and he said, if your faith is as true as you believe your faith is, I would climb across, I would crawl across grass or glass across the United States to tell somebody about it. Our faith has gotten comfortable. Are we willing to crawl across glass to tell our neighbor about the love of Jesus? If we truly believe this faith is real, how can we hang on to it? Week three in this series is going to be fun because it's the cross and how that was true love. We think we understand love. We think we understand it from movies who say, you complete me. But true love is sacrifice for those who don't deserve it. And that's what Jesus did. Next week, we're going to look at how in one week's time period, we go from the triumphal entry to Jesus getting crucified. How people flip-flop in seven days. And as I was thinking about that, and I'm going to share a little bit right now about that, how much do they mirror me? I say I love Jesus, and yet I'm driving in traffic, and somebody cuts me off, and I yell at them. We judge people a lot in the Bible, don't we? But when we're honest with ourselves, we ain't so different. We still need a Savior. We still have a Savior. And his name is Jesus. So today I want to start off this morning with one big thought. Our message today is pretty much we're going to break down this thought because we're called as followers of Jesus to imitate him. Okay, He's to be our guide on how we live life. I don't get to choose how I'm going to live life if I love Jesus. I've given up that right. Okay, So I know this is going to sound a little bit strange that sacrifice in following Jesus is more important than what I get out of it. What does the world teach us? Look out for number one. Take care of yourself. In a study I just read recently, 
80% of all social media posts have to do with the person posting them. They're about ourselves. We've become a culture obsessed with self. Our main passage today is going to be found in Matthew 9. And we're going to break down and go through a little bit more of Matthew 9, but we're going to start Matthew 9, 12 this morning. And it says here, because people, let me give you a little precursor here. He just called Matthew to be his disciple. And what did he do? What all good religious leaders do, he went and hung out with sinners and is having dinner with them. And so the people are saying, you know, why does his teacher eat with such scum, is what one version says. I'm glad Jesus eats with scum, because he'd have never had dinner with me. In verse 12, it starts off and says, when Jesus heard this, he said, healthy people don't need a doctor, sick people do. Then he added, now go and learn the meaning of this scripture. I want you to show compassion, not offer sacrifices. For I have come to call not those who think they are righteous, but those who know they are sinners. All right, so if we want to resurrect our compassion, we have to really understand what compassion is, right? Now, compassion, according to Merriam-Webster's dictionary, it says a sympathetic consciousness to others distressed together with the desire to alleviate it. I'm not going to break down the original Greek word because I cannot say it. I tried this whole weekend to try to figure out how to pronounce it, but I just couldn't get it down. But it meant a yearning in your intestines. That's biblical compassion. Now, New Testament, are the writers of the Bible, as they were starting to translate it and stuff, didn't like relating God's love to intestines, so they took it out and tried to make it nicer. But I really like the thought, it's a yearning in my intestines to help someone else. In other words, I'm just flat not comfortable unless I'm doing something to help somebody. I want that. I want that kind of compassion. I don't, but I do. <laughs> Y'all want it, but it's like, that's, that's uncomfortable. You know, in a comprehensive study done by the University of Michigan with 14,000 college students between the years 1979 and 2009, they found that there was a drastic decline in empathy. In fact, if you are taking notes this morning, the results of this massive study showed that we care 40% less about other people than we did in the 1980s. Now, how many of you guys this morning did that just fly right by? We care 40% less about others. That study was done 10 years ago. What do you think it's at now? We care less about what other people feel, what they think, how they're doing. We care about ourselves and what can I get out of this life. That wasn't Jesus. Jesus said, the Jesus I read in my Bible was all about what can I give. I think when people see the church as, as, a, as a body that gives and not what we can get, it makes a huge difference. So someone dug a little deeper into the study to find out what some of the questions were. You know, you got to make sure that they weren't just doing something to kind of tweak it so it fit their study. 
the first question was, I sometimes try to understand my friends better by looking at things from their perspective. They scored it one through five. Drastic drop in that one, it was like a two. One of the other questions is I often have tender, concerned feelings about people who are less fortunate than me. There was a drastic drop in that one. And the third one that I just wrote down from here is fewer people are calling themselves soft-hearted. So why, why is this happening? Why are we caring less and less about others? Well, one of the driving factors is social media. But I think it, it leans more, more away from that. I, I think it really has to do with, you know, social media, yes, part of it, 80% of people post selfies and all this other happy stuff on their great grand. I'm not going to talk about social media that much this morning. But I want to think, I want you to think about the busyness of your schedules nowadays. Remember back in the day when computers were invented and they were telling us we'd have to work less than 40 hours a week because computers would make our jobs simpler? Our jobs would be easier? What's happened with computers? They've made our lives never able to disconnect. How many of you guys got a cell phone? How many of you guys know it's charged? How many of you guys have it with you right now this morning? How many of you guys grew up without cell phones? You went to church without cell phones? We made it through life without cell phones? Do you see what I'm getting at of how we can't disconnect from things anymore? We can't just relax. We can't just take a breath. Because there's, there, there, is, there is a study that shows there's this thing called FOMO. Fear of missing out. That's a big problem. That's why we have our cell phones. We might miss something. What's it like? I think one of the studies said it's like every eight seconds people are looking at their phone on average. I, I was talking to one person I work with. She disconnects her with her phone when she goes to bed at night. If she wakes up at night to go get a drink or something, first thing she does is pick up her phone and look at it. So more than social media, it's just the busyness of what we think we might miss if we don't have our electronics to stay connected. How about family? Can they distract us and keep us busy? Kids nowadays are way busier than when I was a kid. Nobody had ever heard of half these things they have to do in school anymore. So families keep us busy. Marriages keep us busy. We have to pay the bills so our jobs keep us busy. So I, more than just social media, we become so distracted by the enemy that we can't keep first things first, which should be seek first his kingdom and all this other stuff will be added. One of the, I, I read a quote one time, one of the greatest lies of the devil was busyness, was following Jesus. How many know God rested on the seventh day? How many of you guys have taken a day of rest in the last month? Are we better? Yeah, very few. Are we better than God? 
If he needed to rest, why do you think we don't? And I'm saying this partly because it's okay to say no to some things. Religion keeps us focused on staying busy. Right? What's the next thing we're going to do? What's the next thing study we're going to have? What's the next? And, and in the process of thinking we're growing closer to God, we're actually drawing away from God because we can't focus on God because we're so busy doing things. I mentioned this Wednesday night in our class. How many of you guys know there's a couple of different scriptures that talk about Jesus? A couple of them in the Bible anyways. Um, where he comes and people come and say, Lord, didn't we cast out demons in your name? Didn't do we do all these miracles in your name? I was at church every Sunday. I was at church every Wednesday, Lord. I was doing all the stuff you asked me to do because this is what religion does. And what is his answer? Get away from me. I didn't know you. Not all about you, but that shakes me to my core a little bit. We talked a little bit Wednesday night about the, the ten virgins and the story of that and how when the five had forgot their oil and they finally got some oil and they went and knocked on the door, what, is, what was his response? Get away from here. I don't know you. No, they, they met all the qualifications. They were virgins. That was the qualification. They just didn't have any oil. As I mentioned on Wednesday night, as I read that verse, how many of you guys think if they would have just shown up with no lamps and they just walked with the other ones, they would have been accepted? They had met the qualifications. They thought they had to earn it by doing something else. How often do we do that with our walk with Christ? A little too often, don't we? The story of was told of General William Booth, the founder of Salvation Army. The day that Queen Victoria of England asked to meet with him, he's like, okay. But she had heard some, so many favorable things about his work in the slums, she asked him what his secret of success was. His response really jumped out at me. He's like, your majesty, some men have a passion for money, some people have a passion for things. I have a passion for people. And when we look at what Jesus did in Scripture, His greatest attribute that's missing in Christianity today, I believe, is compassion. We're quick to judge. We're quick to talk about people behind their backs. We're quick to say, let me pray about that before I help you. <laughs> We're quick to say a lot of different things. But the first point with compassion is it's inconvenient. Having compassion for people is inconvenient. How many of you guys like to run into detour signs when you're going somewhere? Detour signs. Any of you guys like that? No, not a bit. Partially because if my GPS ain't working and I gotta take a detour and it's gotta reroute, I'm lost. What runs through our mind is, where am I gonna end up? Is it gonna take me extra time? Now, heaven forbid it was the old days when we had to use maps when they threw a detour out there. And some kid decided to hide one of the detour signs. Just saying. 
I'm, run, I'm already running late. Now I gotta take this detour. So what happens? We get frustrated. Why? Because life's about me. That was one that slapped me upside the head this week as I was driving through traffic and people cutting me off. I was about to yell at this car because he didn't turn his blinker on and I got to smack upside the head. Are you in that big a hurry, Gene? I get it, God, sorry. I don't know what that person's going through. Maybe they're having a bad day. Maybe they're trying to get to the hospital. Maybe they got a kid screaming in the back seat. We don't know what's going on. So how dare I be so arrogant that thinks life's about me and they should never turn in front of me because I'm important. It's just, some of this stuff is just, but it's so inconvenient. John the Baptist, if you look in Mark 6, and I'm not going to read through it all this morning, but Mark 6, John the Baptist just gets beheaded. All right? Disciples just come back from a trip. They're telling Jesus about what's going on. And they say, your cousin just got beheaded. And they said, Jesus said, let's go out into the quiet and get some rest. Okay? Y'all with me so far on this story? And you can look it up if you want to in Mark 6. The apostles returned to Jesus from their ministry tour, and he told them they had done all they had done and taught. Then Jesus said, let's go by, off by ourselves to a quiet place and rest a while. He said this because there were so many people coming and going that Jesus and his apostles didn't have any time to eat. So they left by boat for a quiet place where they could be alone. <laughs> How many of you guys ever, I just got to break the door. How many of you guys ever want some quiet time and somebody just shows up at the house? And you just like get up in your chair and you're like, oh, seriously, I just wanted some peace and quiet. Okay, that's what's happening to Jesus and the apostles right here. They get on a boat, okay? They didn't just walk across, they didn't just go in their living room, close the door and sit on the couch. They got on a boat to get away from these people. But it said many people recognized them and saw them leaving and people from many towns ran ahead along the shore to get ahead of them. Now I'm turning the boat. I'm seeing people run after me, I'm turning the boat the other way. If I want some, I'm just being honest. If I want some quiet time, I'm turning the boat. But Jesus didn't. Because Jesus said he saw, he said he saw the huge crowd and he stepped from the boat and he had compassion on them. Okay, Jesus, I get it. My life's not about my comfort. It's not about me wanting my quiet time. He looked at them and said, because they were like sheep without a shepherd, so he began teaching them things. So Jesus, trying to mourn his cousin, who just got beheaded, the disciples just got back from touring Jerusalem, and preaching the gospel, wanted some quiet time, and they haven't eaten, and apparently Jesus never got hangry. Um, you know when you get angry because you're hungry? Um, just, apparently he didn't get that because he's hungry. The disciples are hungry. They're trying to get to a quiet place. People come running up, and Jesus broke. His heart broke because he had compassion on them. He had a yearning in his belly to help the sheep who were without a shepherd. And that's how Jesus looks at me when I'm going through my stuff. The second thing is compassion's always going to cost you something. Compassion will cause you to take risks that you never thought you'd take before. The story that I've got written down there is a story about the, the Good Samaritan. The religious people walked by and they didn't have time to take a detour that day to help this poor person. But somebody 
who was despised by Israel, by the Jews, detoured his life to take care of this guy who probably wouldn't have gave him the time of day if he wasn't injured. When you see people on the street, do you listen for that prompting of the Holy Spirit and say, go help this guy, and you do? Or it's like, God, I see him, but i got to get over here to the store, so i got to pick up my stuff so I can get back home so I can get supper made for when my wife gets home because I don't want my wife to get angry with me. Now, if you guys are honest, how many of you guys think my wife would be more excited about me helping somebody than having dinner? Yeah. When we're doing what Jesus is calling us to do, it again grows us together. Sometimes we'll justify ourselves not helping someone because we are afraid to take a risk. Now, I'll admit there are times taking risks you shouldn't do, they're just not smart. Shelly, when she was out in Chicago, is, a, is an example. There were risks she took because they were God-led risks to ride the L by herself, to walk up and down some areas. But her heart was, I want these people to know Jesus and love them. And I had to actually talk to her a few times about there's just times you shouldn't put yourself in danger. Yes, God can protect you, but if God's not leading you, the protection isn't there. Like we read about last week with Caleb, after they all threw a fit. And then they said, okay, we'll do it now, God, after he told them they were going to go wander in the wilderness for 40 days. What happened to them? They got whooped. So there are times God's not telling you to take risks. So listen. It's why we have to be connected to the vine. We have to listen to what God's telling us. Years ago, there was a scam on South, in South Florida where people were faking, breaking down. And when you stopped, they'd rob you. Now, we all grew up in rural communities. I grew up in the country. You just stopped and helped people. That's what you did. I mean, I picked up people on 15, on 10, on 94 before when they were broke down, I saw their car. Now, is it the smartest thing to do? Probably not. I teach people in CPR class and first aid class, do not get out of your car and help somebody if you're by yourself. Why? Because I don't want another injury. Call, get help coming. Watch them. But again, when we're led by the power of the Holy Spirit, he will lead us in those areas that seem risky, but they'll bring us compassion for those people. And when we have the compassion crisis called for us to have, we can change lives. Martin Luther King Jr. once said, the first question the priests and the Levites asked was, if I stop to help this man, what will happen to me? But the Good Samaritan reversed the question and said, if I do not stop to help this man, what will happen to him? So let's ask that question of God before we turn our backs on somebody. Compassion can't be measured in dollars and cents, but it does come with a price tag. That price tag may be money, but it more than likely is going to be time, but the price is love. And are we willing to love these people? The third one is compassion. We'll check our motivation. Do we see people as problems to be solved? So when people come to church, are we seeing somebody that we need to fix? Are we seeing someone Jesus loves? Are we seeing people as irritations to put up with, but avoid them at all costs? Are we seeing them the way Jesus sees them as his children? Do we see them as challenges 
that we just want to stay away from. They're too dirty. They're too this. They're too that. I'm that guy none of you would have invited to church. I'm just telling you point blank. I was that guy that wore black raiders, flat top haircut, four earrings, and had an attitude. I will punch you rather than talk to you. That was my attitude. Thankfully, my uncle never stopped praying for me. Nobody did invite me to church, by the way. I showed up because I had someone who prayed for me. There's the story of two liberal sociologists who were walking down the street. They saw a man lying unconscious and covered with cuts and bruises from a terrible mugging. One of the sociologists turned to his colleague and said, Oh, this is so bad. Whoever did this terrible deed really needs our help. They never helped the guy laying there. How often do we do that? Remember a few years back on YouTube, and, and I'm going to get ready to wrap up here in a minute. Remember a couple years ago on YouTube, there was a guy who collapsed in New York City of a heart attack on the sidewalk, and people were just stepping over him. Nobody helped him. He was just laying there. You know, we see things like that, and this goes to the whole internet thought process we were talking earlier. We've, we've become, as a culture, desensitized to things because we're bombarded with stuff all the time. If we see something, we, we'll say we'll pray for it. We probably do pray for it, but the minute it goes away, we forget about it. There's kids that have been missing, and when we see the story, we'll pray for them. And one of, the, one of the things I read this week is there were like 400 kids that went missing. And a whole nation was praying for them. It all of a sudden got off of YouTube. It's no longer on Facebook. It's no longer on social media. It's no longer in the news. But they said as of today, those kids are still missing. How many people are still praying for them? If it's in front of us, we pray for it. God puts people in front of us every day that need compassion, that need love, that need his hope. And here's the bottom line. For me, and I just, I'm, I'm just going to be honest for a moment, that the more obsessed I get with Jesus, the more I want to know Jesus, the more I want to serve Jesus, and the closer I get to him, the less I care about my comfort, the less I care about my security, and all of a sudden, I start to deny myself. I take up my cross, and I start to follow him. So the key this morning that I think we all need to get back to in reclaiming compassion and rejourning to the cross is understand that the closer we get to Jesus, the less we care about ourselves and the more we care about other people. Now, last thing this morning that I'm going to say is compassion is going to interrupt your life. Compassion is going to cost you something, but it will motivate you to serve others. And again, Jesus said in his word, I've come to seek and save the lost. I've come to serve and not be served. The last scripture I'm going to read this morning 
is at the end of Matthew 9, after Jesus just got through calling Matthew, just got through healing some blind men, just got through healing some lepers. And understand that everywhere Jesus went, he was motivated with compassion. Jesus changes lives. Verse 35 starts out, it says, Jesus traveled through all the towns and villages of that area, teaching in the synagogues and announcing the good news about the kingdom. And he healed every kind of disease and illness. And verse 36 says it, when he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them. He, they were helpless, they were confused, like sheep without a shepherd. And then Jesus still turns to us today, and this is what his, his, he is saying over us today as the body of Christ, as the church, big C, not here, all churches. The harvest is great, but the workers are few. So pray to the Lord who is in charge of the harvest and ask him to send more workers into the fields.